Peace be upon you. So one of the questions that comes up occasionally is what is the physical form of God? In one extreme, you have this depiction of God as typically an old man with a long white beard sitting up in the cloud. And we know that this isn't true because God is not of this world. In Surah 6 verse 1 of 3, it reads, No vision can encompass him, but he encompasses all visions. He is the compassionate, the cognizant. So God is not a form by which we can wrap our heads around, that we can describe in this worldly sense, because God is not of this world. God created this world. The other extreme is that they say God doesn't have a physical form, that God is some sort of spirit, something that uh, resonates throughout the, uh, the cosmos, but there is no physical form of God. And we know that this also is not true. If we read Surah 7, verse 143, it reads, When Moses came at our appointed time and his Lord spoke with him, he said, My Lord, let me look and see you. He said, You cannot see me. Look at the mountain. If it stays in its place, then you can see me. Then his Lord manifested himself to the mountain, and this caused it to crumble. Moses fell unconscious. When he came to, he said, Be you glorified, I repent you. I am the most convinced believer. This verse indicates to us that God absolutely has a physical form. But how do we understand this form? The reality is that God is the one who created time and space as we know it. Therefore, God is outside of time and space. If we try to imagine something outside of time and space, we quickly realize that it's an impossible task for several reasons. For one, even if we could see something outside of space-time, the second problem is we lack the vocabulary to be able to properly articulate what is it that we even saw. For instance, try to find the proper words to describe a phenomenon that exists outside of space-time. You know, at best we can put formulas or equations or associate numbers with it, but to use adjectives to describe what is it that we see is an impossible task. But who's to even say that the sense of sight is the right sense for us to be able to perceive something in a different dimension, that of where God resides? While we rely predominantly on our sense of sight to navigate through this three-dimensional world, maybe there is a different sense that's required in the higher dimension that God resides in. You know, to put this in a perspective where we can try to wrap our heads around, perceive what the world is like if we use the different sense predominantly to navigate. And you can compare how we navigate the world to how a dog navigates the world. While a human being, we predominantly rely on our sense of sight to navigate the world, a dog relies predominantly on its sense of smell. Depending on the breed and the type of the dog, a dog's sense of smell is around 10,000 to 100,000 times better than ours. They have over 300 million olfactory receptors in their nose compared to our 6 million. And then the amount of brain capacity proportionally that a dog uses for smell as opposed to a human is 40 times greater. So we're incapable of understanding what is a world when your predominant sense of navigation comes from your smell. And this is just one worldly sense to be able to describe that. Now imagine what senses would be required in order to be able to properly perceive something in, let's say, the fourth dimension or the fifth dimension or the sixth dimension. Because God knows how many dimensions there are before you reach that of where God resides. So without the proper vocabulary 
and the senses. It shows the impossibility for us in these at this worldly body to describe or even observe in a higher dimension what an object, let alone God, is. This is the same problem many people have when they have a near-death experience. They go into a dimension outside of this worldly body, and they lack the vocabulary to properly articulate what is it that they saw. The best they can do is they say, oh, I saw a bright light, I saw certain individuals, but it's predominantly the emotion that they're communicating, because emotion transcends time and space. It's something that irrespective of which dimension you reside in, you will have this experience, this, uh, this feeling. But to be able to articulate that into words is something that we lack as long as we're residing into this world. To understand this challenge, consider trying to describe the taste of chocolate to someone who's never tasted chocolate before or even lacks the ability to taste. Now, if someone lacks the ability to taste, how do you articulate to them what the taste of chocolate is? And that's a very kind of a, a simple example of the challenge in trying to articulate what a form or an entity would perceive in a different dimension. God uses allegorical descriptions in the Quran for us to be able to kind of get a sense of what these uh, experiences are in these other uh, dimensions. For instance, when God talks about heaven and hell, he uses allegorical descriptions. In Surah 2 verse 25, it reads, Give good news to those who believe and lead a righteous life, that they will have gardens with flowing streams. When provided with a provision of fruits therein, they will say, This is what was provided for us previously. Thus, they are given allegorical descriptions. They will have pure spouses therein, and they abide therein forever. So these expressions of fruits and spouses and mates and flowing streams and rivers, uh, these are allegorical descriptions for us to get a sense of what it's like in paradise. But just like the impossibility of describing chocolate to someone who not only has never tasted chocolate, but doesn't have the capability of even tasting, is something so out of this world that these are way oversimplifications of what it's actually going to be like. And God acknowledges this in Surah 32 verse 17. It says, you have no idea how much joy and happiness are waiting for you as a reward for your righteous works. So back to the physical nature of God. Since God created time and space and he's outside of time and space in some higher dimension, therefore we cannot fully understand the physical makeup of God because we lack, again, the vocabulary and the senses to do so. So instead, we can resort to a metaphor to help better understand this paradox. Imagine you were in a two-dimensional space. You lived, resided within a two-dimensional space. This would be like a piece of paper, and you would be a dot within this piece of paper. That would be your existence. Now, obviously, you have the x-axis, you have the y-axis, but you lack any depth. You lack the z-axis. Now, let's say on this piece of paper, we have a square with a circle drawn around it. And we ask the individual, we ask you as this two-dimensional being, this dot, to reach the square without breaking that circle. That would be an impossible task for you because you're limited to two-dimensional space. You would be incapable of going over the circle or underneath the circle, and you could only cross through it, and you would have to break that circle in order to reach that square. But a three-dimensional being who sees you in this conundrum, in this two-dimensional world, 
can not only reach that uh, square, they heck, they can move the square onto the other side or they can transport you from outside of the circle to inside the circle. Now notice, nothing in the three-dimensional space, the, the laws of physics of three-dimensional space have been broken. But for you in two-dimensional space, it appears as if the laws of physics have completely uh, fallen apart, which isn't the case. God gives us this analogy with the Queen of Sheba and her palace. When Solomon asked the jinns, who could bring me her palace uh, the fastest? We read in Surah 27 verse 38 through uh, uh, 40 that the jinns were able to, one jinn specifically with the knowledge of the book, was able to transport her palace faster than the speed of light. It reads, he said, O you elders, so this is Solomon talking to the jinns, which of you can bring me her mansion before they arrive here as submitters? One afrit from the jinn said, I can bring it to you before you stand up. I am powerful enough to do this. So an afrit is a powerful jinn. The one who possessed knowledge from the book said, I can bring it to you in the blink of your eye. When he saw it settled in front of him, he said, This is a blessing from my Lord, whereby he tests me to show whether I am appreciative or unappreciative. Whoever is appreciative is appreciative for his own good. If one turns unappreciative, then my Lord is in no need for him most honorable. So in this world, in this three-dimensional world, where we have X, Y, and Z, and obviously time, this jinn was able to transport Sheba's, uh, the queen of Sheba's palace faster than the speed of light. And the Arabic says, before the, uh, the uh, light touches your eye. How was he able to do this without breaking the laws of physics? The fact is, the jinns are in a dimension higher than we are in this world. So therefore, they can observe things. It's almost like they're watching us in a two-dimensional space. And by doing so, they're able to perform these feats that to us seem supernatural, that seem like magic. But for them, it's no different than us in a three-dimensional space observing a world in a two-dimensional space. Because we have this access to the z-axis, this depth, we can transpose things into that two-dimensional space that seem impossible for beings who live on that piece of paper. Now think, what would life look like for a two-dimensional being trying to observe a three-dimensional being? One perception of this is that that two-dimensional being can see the shadow of the three-dimensional being. And they could see that cross-section of that individual, no different than a shadow, because a shadow is a two-dimensional projection of a three-dimensional object. And we see that this is the reason that we are incapable of seeing the jinns in their dimension. In Surah 7 verse 27 it reads, O children of Adam, do not let the devil dupe you as he did when he caused the eviction of your parents from paradise and the removal of their garments to expose their bodies. He and his tribe see you while you do not see them. We appoint the devils as companions of those who do not believe. So the jinns in their dimension are able to observe the humans and are able to manifest these amazing feats in our universe that seem like magic, that seem supernatural. But in their dimension, it's totally uh, capable. It's very easy to achieve, relative. So let's take this thought experiment one step further. What would happen if a three-dimensional being attempted to insert themselves into a two-dimensional world? Now, we're not talking about the shadow. We're talking about the physical entity moving into a two-dimensional space.
what would happen is that three-dimensional being would utterly annihilate, destroy the two-dimensional space. So now we come full circle back to the example of uh, God to Moses when God manifested himself to the mountain. What God was doing was inserting his higher dimension into this lower dimension and utterly destroying, crumbling this dimension, the fabric of our world by trying to insert himself, his physical being inside to this world. No different than a human being trying to insert themselves inside a piece of paper. What would happen to that piece of paper? The paper would crumble. It would tear apart. And that was what was manifesting when God attempted to manifest himself to this mountain. We're going to read the verse again. Surah 7 verse 143. It says, When Moses came at our appointed time, his Lord spoke with him. He said, My Lord, let me look and see you. He said, You cannot see me. Look at the mountain. If it stays in its place, then you can see me. Then his Lord manifested himself to the mountain. And this caused it to crumble. Moses fell unconscious. When he came to, he said, Be you glorified. I repent to you. I am the most convinced believer. This word in Arabic for crumbling is the word dakan. And dakan means to utterly crush something. Now you think you have space-time in this world and you have these huge, what appear to be huge mountains. But then you have a being from a different dimension trying to insert themselves into this three-dimensional space. What's going to happen to that mountain? It's going to be utterly destroyed, utterly annihilated, crumbled into dust. And that's what God is describing is happening the second he attempted to simply manifest himself into this world. This world cannot possibly contain the physical form of God because God is not of this world. God created this world. God is able to observe this world through time and space. So does God have a physical form? Absolutely. Now, what's really interesting about this is take the same example. If you had a two-dimensional universe, nothing different than a piece of paper, and you have a three-dimensional uh, entity, which one would you say is more physical? Is it the one who's living on the two-dimensional uh, dimension or the one that's within three dimensions that if they were to insert themselves into two-dimensional space, they would destroy the fabric of that two-dimensional space? Now, naturally, we would say the one of the higher dimension is more physical than the one of the lower dimensions. Now, God is the creator of this universe and all seven universes. So he's residing within a dimension way higher than anything we can perceive that his physical manifestation into any of these lower dimensions would utterly destroy the fabric of these lower dimensions. So God is not only physical, but a more accurate de description would be that God is the most physical because God created all seven universes. God created the, the uh, three-dimensional space that we live in. God created the physical space that the jinns reside in. And God is still above that that God is above all his creations. And if God was to insert himself into any of these lower dimensions that he created, they would most certainly crumble and fall apart as any lower dimension would be incapable of supporting such an immense being. God be glorified. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. If you guys want to follow along with the verses of the Quran and look at 
the word-for-word translation of the Arabic along with a, uh, an awesome translation, uh, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store or go to QuranStudyApp.com. And if you like the podcast, please share it with other people or leave us a review. Until next time, peace and God bless.